Well, you can talk about film. Gotta be quicker than this. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal, but for once in your life... Be real! Welcome one and all to a mini episode of your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast, Be Real. My name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard, and Mini, in this case, is only about the length. It's not about the quality. Right. That's true. Um, and it may not be a mini episode, because we have the rare mini-pod guest coming up today. We are talking about Crazy Rich Asians, which came out earlier this month, and was a bona fide hit, almost to the extent of, like, you don't see non-franchise movies make this much money in 2018. Of course... You've heard about it. You've heard what an important movie it is, uh, you know, since it's been out for three weeks uh, in terms of having an all-Asian cast. The first uh, Hollywood movie to have that since the Joy Luck Club a quarter century ago. Um, what else do we need to say about it before we dive in? Yeah, based on the Kevin Kwan bestseller. Uh, yeah, I interviewed Vivian Lee, my buddy who's an editor, uh, and she's a writer in her own right, writing a lot about food and culture. So we'll bring that interview to you it's a fresh one just did it this morning the book was also like a phenomenon right that's right okay uh adapted into this movie this year it's about rachel chu um played here by constance Wu, who you might know from fresh off the boat she is uh an economics professor at nyu which the movie only lets you know about a hundred times um, right and including like a scene straight out of i don't know a romantic comedy where she like wins a hand at poker and also teaches these millennials, which parenthetically isn't she also, uh, right. Yeah. in her economics class. That's right. Uh, but so she's dating just a beautiful Ken doll of a human being, uh, Nick Young (laughs) played by Henry Golding. Uh, yeah. As you'll hear later in my conversation, one of my questions, one of my interview questions was, uh, and I quote, Henry Golding, who plays the male lead, Nick Young, is the most attractive person I've ever seen. <laughs> question mark? Is there a question no. there? No. Oh, just just... More of a statement. Part question, part comment. He's, the, he's unbelievably good looking. Absolutely. Um, so this is a rom-com and a comedy of manners. And what transpires is uh, Rachel going to Singapore with Nick Young. Uh, for the wedding of his best friend, Colin. Um, And it is unbeknownst to Rachel in the beginning that the Youngs are an institution, like a a real estate empire, but also like with tons and tons of cultural influence, I guess, in Singapore. Well, that was my question to you, Chance, is who is the uh, American analog here? I, well, that's the sort of curious thing about it. Is he it DJT was, Jr.? <laughs> I would love to hopefully not get the Trumps Colin involved, Hanks? It's, <laughs> I feel like it's if you like stuck like the Buffets and the Kardashians together. Like they have a ton of money in sort of like what to a certain point is like an unsexy, um, you know, line of work. And yet, but like people are really into how you know, beautiful and wealthy they are. They have a cultural footprint as well, as you see immediately when someone like spots Rachel and Nick in this restaurant in New York. And there's like this, um, you know, 
through the social media rabbit hole, kind of like Oliver Stone in Snowden. When you look into Facebook, it shoots through time space and everyone is alerted to the fact that, that Nick Young, again, unbeknownst to his family, is uh, dating an American commoner. Stormy Jenner? Right. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend. What about us taking an adventure east? Like Queens? Singapore. Colin's wedding. Don't you want to be my family? I hardly know anything about them. Every time I bring them up, it changes the subject. Maybe his parents are poor, and he has to send them money. Let's take a bag and get you checked into first step. Can't afford this. So your family is rich. We're comfortable. That is exactly what a super rich person would say. I want money. One point two million. That's what I want. The Nick you're dating is Nick Young. Yeah, you guys know them or something? Hell's yeah. They're just the biggest developers in all of Singapore. That's what I Damn, Rachel. It's like the Asian Bachelor. These people aren't just rich. They're crazy rich. Now you really should have told me that you're like the Prince William of Asia. That's ridiculous. Much more of a Harry. <laughs> Mom, this is Rachel Chu. She just thinks you're some like unrefined banana. No, no, no. Uh, those are your fingers. Yellow on the outside, or white on the inside. Do some crazy! I chose to raise a family. For me, it was a privilege. But for you, you may think it's old-fashioned. Don't you want Nick to be happy? I know you're not what Nick needs. She's like trying to play a game of chicken with me, thinking I'm gonna swerve like a chicken. But you can't swerve. You gonna roll up and be like, bok, bok, bitch. Okay, maybe like not as aggressive. Yeah, so th this guy, I mean, he's unbelievably handsome. He's unbelievably famous. He's unbelievably wealthy. Mm -hmm. And mom just wants him to marry uh, a distant cousin. <laughs> Basically. Most importantly, I think more than her wishes for his marriage, she just wants him home. He's been in New York for too long. He needs to come back to Singapore and take over the family's business empire. Uh, which yeah, is currently from a, being, run, being run by the father who is not who, in the movie. We'll talk about no, that later. No, he's like Maris from Frasier. Exactly. It's an interesting choice. He's only like a phone call in the yeah. that sort of, uh, that prologue. Can we talk about that prologue? Yeah, can we just finish setting up the movie? I mean, I guess, have we set it up all the way? They go to Singapore. Uh, Eleanor is not psyched about Rachel, despite her being seemingly like the perfect person. And so there's, there's this very central, very conventional story about uh, disapproval from the wealthy prior generation and the younger generation's desire to branch out into things that make them happy with the extra layer of the fact that, uh, you know, through her eyes, Americans only want to make themselves happy. So there's that sort of like your personal gratification isn't important to me and your like bifurcated cultural gratification is not important to me. Um, but then there are like 25 people in this movie. There's the whole, like there are, there's the entire young family with like a ton of cousins, a lot of comedic talent uh, on the screen. Aquafina, Ronnie Chang, Ken Jeong. Um, I'm missing somebody important. Jimmy O. Yang uh, is in this movie. Yeah. So like, I think it's best to like get into this. So what are you going in thinking? Like I was thinking I, if I can just tip my hand a little, I'm thinking going into this movie, like here's an overblown movie that like we've put way too much social capital on. Oh yeah. And there's no way it could be any good. And I would say for the first 10 minutes of this movie, I'm right. Uh -huh. Or that assumption was correct. No. Because it um, starts with this like sort of inscrutable prologue where this family like comes in. It's it's they're in London and they come into this hotel and they're like, hey, 
you know, we have a reservation and for some reason in the mid nineties, this uh, concierge is pretty racist towards Asian people. And he's like, Nope, no Asian people at my hotel. And this goes on for a few minutes and there's some phone calls and then this old white man like comes down to the lobby from the elevator and he's like, it's the youngs. They've bought the hotel. Be right. nice to them. <laughs> and then it's the title sequence. And you're not really sure, like, because there's no real focus on the the um, Nick character who's like a child in this this prologue. It's the focus is on Eleanor, Michelle Yeoh as the mother who's like fearsome, but like not super fearsome. I think the prologue is an example uh, that the movie kind of goes to a, a few times and you're right. It makes you wonder like whose story is this? Right. Because that sort of seems like a origin story for Eleanor. Although I feel like the movie has these sort of like subterranean layers that keep reminding you the whole time as she's being like a classical antagonist and you're like, Eleanor sucks. Give Rachel what she wants. Right. Um, she is forever kind of chastised by uh, the grandmother, the matriarch of the family. And you sort of see that she was chastised by white people. And it's kind of like just a way to remind you that like this, you know, the mo- the monster, the would-be monster-in-law is like, has her own sort of reasons or at least her own sort of wounds. Um, but there's a lot of things in this movie that make me feel like I hear that there's much more depth in the book. And I wonder why that scene was included. Well, it's definitely to set up something, but what? I'm I'm un, I'm uncertain. Right. I don't know. And I think it's to set up sort of them versus the world, this family versus the world, yeah. showing sort of how far they've come and how like powerful they are in terms and in context of their Western influence, which is also sort of a wink to the audience, which I think they probably presume is mostly American Westerners. It doesn't even look like this movie is going to be released in China. Oh, really? <laughs> right. Um, mm. So I, this movie does a lot of work, I think, early on to establish like, hey, stupid Western audience, this is like some Singapore stuff. And here are right. like the cultural mores you need to know. But like, if you pull it back, even like a, the slightest bit, you like don't need to explain that this son and mother have like a complicated relationship built on a power dynamic that like favors her in a striking way. What it does is it shows you how much you can captivate a new audience by showing them the same old thing, just with new people in an important way and new like cultural touchstones and settings and things. I mean, the whole scene that you and Vivian talk about uh, with the street food, which is just delightful and tactile and incredible, and all well, the like... a lesser a lesser movie would have had like ew, like what is that in that bowl? That's disgusting. Oh, it's right. like oh, well, yeah. we're gonna eat it anyway. It's like aren't these people so weird? Thank no, this movie has the courage to make this food appetizing and interesting and exciting, and you like wanna like do cl- a close up of it and pan around it. Like, and I think when this movie you know, shifts into the fourth gear of like, stop for the love of God, just projecting like all these things you think we need to know, which we don't. And just letting us experience this movie. Mm -hmm. It actually enters a level of being good. Sure. Sure. 
I feel like there's a there is one kind of like wink at what you're talking about, which I think is a good bit where they have the thing with uh, Ken Jeong and Aquafina's family are sort of like the the new money Singaporeans, right. and uh, Ken Jeong is like basically dressed like Elvis. Um, but there's that whole bit about him speaking sort of like broken English, and for a while you think he's not every Ken Jeong character ever, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's revealed like, oh no, of course he is. He's just fucking with her. Um, well, that's that's, that's nice. it's the microcosm for the movie. It's like if you let it sit there for a second, you'll realize it's just like every other romantic comedy you've right. ever seen. <laughs> exactly. You know, like I thought the Jimmy O Yang thing was like that was stupid. Yeah. Well, at so a there's certain- this whole there's this whole sequence where they the the best friend goes to his bachelor party, which is the same week as the wedding, which seems like a weird use of one's time. Right. And they like go to this barge in like the middle of international waters, which ends up not making any sense anyway. And he's like shooting a rocket launcher for sport. And then they're like, good thing I picked up those helicopter lessons, rich friend. And Uh then, yeah. And then Nick and his buddy, his buddy Colin are just like off in a, you know, commercial for some luxury vacation. Right. In the South China sea. Yeah, talking about their feelings and setting up some pretty important plot points in a pretty good, like, 1950s style, like, here are the women talking about one thing, and here are the men talking about, did you hear that the Conrad Birdie's coming to town? I like the filmmaking in that bit in general, the kind of flight of the Valkyries of the helicopters and then the juxtaposition to, like, the women on the beach. With the, I mean, as sort of, like you know, hokey and traditionalist as it is, I feel like that's where John M. Chu's like vision as a director is at its best, like hokey, big, all in traditionalist. Um, I think those are all right scenes, but I know what you're saying about the Jimmy O. Yang character who like makes no sense. Why are they hanging out with this guy? Um, But then there is that thing of like one of the like weird impasses this movie runs into because people don't really make comedies of manners anymore. In addition to big well, Americans budget romantic don't comedies. understand manners because we have none. <laughs> well, I mean, but then the other sort of thing is that the what's gone away is that the upper class of upper crust of American society doesn't use manners and diction in the way that they did when you could make these movies in the forties and fifties. So they don't make sense, but what I was trying to say is that one of the impasses it runs into is just like, these are um, at times beautiful spectacles, but at times like repulsive displays of wealth. Um, And the whole time you're like, Rachel, why would you want any part of this? Especially an economics professor. (laughs) Well, that, that that's an interesting thing too, because clearly she's an economics professor for a reason. Otherwise like give her any other role to play. Right. But why does oh, how dare the movie like let her be an economics professor and then say nothing about world economics as like a film? Great. Qu- I wonder if that's in the book. Because like there's been- literally no display of anyone really beyond these one percent of one percent people. And we don't even see the people that work for them for the most part. I mean, right. the hangers on are still family members, mm-hmm. but it's new money versus old money. But everybody at the end of the day has money. I mean, even Rachel, you know, she's not an adjunct professor. She's clearly like a tenured professor who can like play goofy games with her kids to make points. Sure. 
So everyone has a certain level of privilege in this, which is like super interesting it, because like you think it's a satire, but of, of what is it a satire? It's, I don't think it's a satire at all. You don't think so? You don't? So no way. No way. It is, it is a comedy of extravagant wealth, but then at the end of the day, it's just like, well, we choose moderation, which is really just like slightly less extravagant wealth in New York. Well, that's the thing. Like, even if Nick Young gives up his job, I mean, ultimately, that's the conflict of the movie is like whether this guy is going to pick his American life or his Singapore life. Right. But even if he chose his chosen his, his American life, he's still like living within wealth, like in one of the more wealthy cities in the world. Right. You know, he's still living in New York, working in finance. Like, it's uh-huh. not as though he's giving up, you know, he's not going to be a pauper. So we should move this along. Did you you cried? Well, that was the thing. So what'd you cry about, baby? I don't like when movies make you cry. What? Not in a bad way. No. It was near. Well, you think it's near the climax. This movie's got like a secret, like a mini climax, and then like a real climax. Mm-hmm. Then the mini climax is a wedding, and they're like whispering, like "I love you." beautiful man and he's like i love you beautiful woman and there's like another woman like walking down in like water down the aisle to marry his best friends and there's like some serious music playing and i it's It's what is it it's a cover of i can't help falling in love with you i can't help falling in love with you and i was just I was misty the way I'm misty when Ingrid Michaelson sings it, you know, on whatever Nike commercial or whatever thing they've, they've taken and, and ruined. That scene is, um, yeah. Every part of this movie's like production and earnestness, like turned all the way up. So there's like water on the floor. Can I tell you something funny I th- about this movie though? I love the excuse for them to go is Colin his best friend's wedding and yet like it's not his best friend's wedding it's just the youngs who are there <laughs> like the whole time I really feel like this why do I feel like I'm a stone's throw from this just being Nick's wedding to like somebody his family arranged for him and then Rachel should just be like trying to bust it on that but it's like no this is just a weird wedding before the wedding that none of Colin's immediate family is at yeah, you don't really get to know Colin or his fiance at all, no. considering like, and they sort of take over their events. And then <laughs> within like 12 hours of them getting married, they're willing to call everyone back like from the party and be like, it's Nick and Rachel time. <laughs> Let's have a party for them. Because they're the protagonists of the movie. Colin understands he's not the protagonist. Um, right. I mean, just to ask like sort of pointed questions like chance, what are you going to do with your life? Your family's counting on you. Right. Your dad's expecting you to take over his watching the NBA and drinking yeah. light beer empire. <laughs> do we have final words on this movie before we talk to Vivian? I think this movie like packs quite an emotional, like uh, romantic comedy punch. And you know me chance. You I like go to bat. I go to bat. I'll watch any. What's the one? Set it up on Netflix now with my I like that uh, one. with my 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 crush Zoe Dutch. Like yeah, yeah. And Glenn Powell. That's a good one. I liked it. Glenn Powell from Everybody Wants Some. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. 
I like that one. And this one like really made me weepy at the ends. And I was sitting next to my friend, British Chris, who is, has no emotions about anything, was just like, I think the soundtrack's a little overdone here. And I'm just like weeping next to him. Like, yeah, definitely. But yeah, going back to it, I'm going to, I'm an apologist for romantic comedies. I think this one packs a wallop in that department. I think once it gives up on the idea that it's going to teach us something about racism, it becomes a movie that can teach us something about another culture love oh another and culture. maybe maybe love too but to like appreciate things that like aren't as scary as it's still a big budget hollywood romantic comedy there's it's not nothing. gonna kill yeah. you there's <laughs> nothing in this that's going to offend you there's nothing in this that will make you feel uneasy about your, your own identity so for that i think it has to be like it's got to be a bad good it's quintessential bad good Okay. Because it's stupid. It's a stupid romantic comedy, but, uh, but uh, like a good one. It's just like a horror movie is a good bad. This is a bad good. Okay. I'll get on board with that. Um, there are, yeah, there are many, many watchable things about it. I would be remiss if I didn't say how much I liked Aquafina in this movie. Uh, you know, she had another turn basically playing the role of the, um, you know, bubbly's the wrong word because of her smoky voice, but that that energetic sidekick in Ocean's Eight, um, but she's so much better in this movie, and it's one of the best kind of like, you know, the the screw up like uncouth friend who can ultimately do no wrong because they're so charming, which is a she's classic like doing, kind of. She's doing like what a like a good Will Ferrell supporting character can do. Sure, or like Jack Black. Or like a, a good Jack Black in like uh, uh, Orange County or something. Yeah, exactly. And she's she's so good. Um, and she I really steals like, scenes. Yeah. And because they give her something to do. Like that's the problem with a lot of these movies. And like you have to give this movie credit for the fact that it gives people things to do. Sometimes those things are stupid. But right. I'd rather you know Jimmy O Yang with a rocket launcher on a fucking freight barge. <laughs> If it means I can get like an interesting performance from Aquafina. Right. Yeah, totally. I'll get on board with that. I think you and Vivian discussed this, but there, you know, there is the whole thing of like, you know, it's a, it's a romantic comedy. So people are unreasonable fundamentally. Nick, you're not supposed to lie to someone about your entire life and then just like expect them to go along with it. And then also please get over it when they put the mutilated fish in your bed and please still stay and still want to be with me. But Rachel is, uh, you know, a perfect person. It does have a tendency of like minimizing horrible trauma that Rachel goes right. through. But, but other Nick than is- that, it's super entertaining. He always says the right things. It's uh, it's what he didn't say before for an entire year. <laughs> That's the problem. Right. It's that he totally lied to her. And her mother, too. But mom's great. Just give mom a hug. Another thing, I, there are moments in this movie that are very poorly directed. Like that reveal of um, the fact that Rachel was... Why would that happen at the wedding? Why would that happen at the wedding? Um, that scene is really terribly directed because you don't know if Rachel knows this information because she looks first at Nick. It's there are there are like big flourishes. John M. Chu is great on the macro, but on the micro, it's like, have you made a movie where people have emotions before? Like, have you talked to people here? where they heard something they weren't expecting to hear? <laughs> right. Where do they look and what came across their face? Think about it. Do they know already? Maybe you should decide that before you make a motion picture. <laughs> Yeah. But he's used to, I mean, he's used to making Justin Bieber documentaries, and God love him for that. 
So yeah, I'm with you. Bad, good. I like your argument. I won't, let's talk. I want to hear your interview with Vivian. It's so good. Great. Let's let's talk to Vivian. I really admire you. It takes guts coming all the way over here, facing Nick's family. Another day, another breath. I know this much. You will never be enough. Yo, it's about time someone stood up to Auntie Eleanor. Well, you, not me. Oh, God. She can't know I was over here. Guys, welcome to the interview portion of Be Real. It's Noah doing the interview this time. I sometimes get jealous when Chance does all the interviews, and, and I wanted to do one. And I also have a good friend who I thought would be perfect um, for this. Vivian Lee's a book editor. She's also the 2018 Publishers Weekly Rising Star honoree, and her writing can be found at the Los Angeles Times, Eater, The Rumpus, Shondaland, and more. Vivian, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Noah? Thanks for thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. Absolutely. So to set the scene a little bit, we're in like a classroom in mm-hmm. St. Francis, Francis College in downtown Brooklyn. We just got done with a publishing uh, conference. You just did a really good panel. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very good at my job. I, I think I'd like to think that I'm pretty good. I think you are, too. Thanks. Um, so, of course, we're here to talk about crazy rich Asians. Uh, and to start, I just wanted to know how many of your white friends have asked you about your impressions of Crazy Rich Asians? Actually, I was going to interrupt you and be like, did you invite me on because I'm your only Asian friend? Well, it's definitely because I'm white. <laughs> I don't know about the latter. Tell me about the film-going experience, because you were like, pretty amped up about this. I was. So here's the thing, is that I think as everybody knows, it's a historical you know, experience because it's the first movie, Hollywood movie, in 25 years to feature an all-Asian-American cast. So it's kind of like you have to support it, even if... Even if... You don't really care for the source material. Oh, is that... Because I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. We've talked about this a little. We have, yeah. So you, like, read the book, sort of? I, like, started reading it, and I don't know. Like, I'm like, I... I think also just like I'm not I don't think I was the audience for this book even though it sold a lot of books but who do you think the audience for the book was I think it's maybe people who are curious about this world or you know just want a really good like frothy gossipy book and is that what you got from it when you were reading it yeah I was kind of I mean I think it's also just I'm just also really sensitive about how Asians and particularly Asian Americans are portrayed. I know it's like I'm like grouping in like 170 different groups, right, sure. into one, but just like how we're portrayed in books, especially at that time when it came out, there weren't that many that many books that came out written by Asian Asian, Asian Americans. And so I think just you know, I I think that I was very sensitive to the fact that, you know, we're battling against like a model minority stereotype. We're battling against these pieces about you know how like million like Chinese millionaires are coming to New York and just buying lofts. And so you like, read this book and you're like, ugh, it's about this again. Sure. So it's like I just wanted something that was different. And so I don't know. I like didn't read the, I didn't read the jacket copy or anything. I just I was like I just like oh a book. And right. And it has that very distinctive with the the earrings and everything. Yeah. Cover. That was that cover. I think was done by done by Joan Wong. Oh really? Mm-hmm. And so were the like the title, or at least the, they based it on that for the title sequence of right, the movie. Right. So, you, but your film going experience—did you oh. see it like early in the release? Or? I did. So it like officially released on. It's like August eighteenth or something. 
I think so. so. I saw it on Thursday okay. of opening weekend. So no, sorry, the... Wednesday. I saw it Wednesday on opening Oh, it's so like a midnight kind of? It was it... almost. It was like 9 p.m. Sure. And it was the Union Square Theater. Oh, the Regal? The Regal. Love the Regal. <laughs> that I remember. Good sight lines, the Regal. It does, actually, because we were sitting on the balcony because we got there. Oh, the theater with the balcony. That's yeah. Nice. Well, that's also like, imagine the scope of that theater. It's huge, It's right? really big, and yeah. And so, you know, my friends and I got there about 30 minutes before. How many friends are we talking? Six. Six. I went with five other ladies. So five other women. Mm-hmm. Asian? All Asian. All okay. Asian American. All working in publishing. All working in publishing? Yeah. Interesting. And how, how many people had read the book? I think half. Half had read the book to its completion. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Interesting. And then what was watching the movie like? So... Well, first of all, I just want to brag. Please. And say, because I think it was like that opening week that there were like half the cast was there. Oh, like cool. They, like, we, like, they, they, you know when they show like that Coca-Cola commercial before? I hate that thing. I do too. Columbia students are like, <laughs> yeah. watch our movie. Yeah, and you're like, what movie? <laughs> With like this commercial that you, you paid them to make? Yeah. So like that was like showing and then they froze and then the screen froze and then people started freaking out because oh the energy already was like, so hyped. It's a fever pitch. It was a fever pitch. Honestly, it was. Like, there were, like, just two Asian guys behind us when we were, like, coming up the escalator. They're like, oh, they're Asian. We should follow them into the theater. Like, not a so you guys? Well, they said it to them, like, to Got each it. other, and I overheard were it. Were they following you with phones, taking pictures of you? No. Okay. But they were like, oh, we're going to follow the Asian people into the movie theater because mm-hmm. it's like, we know which movie they're seeing. Sure. Which, like, also never happens, which I thought was also this, like, kind of cool club that we were all in. Yeah. And... And so the energy was already, like, super, super, super high. People were just, like, yelling and screaming in a good way and sure. cheering. And so, but were the, people in costume? People were not in costume that I could see, okay. at least in the balcony. So maybe some of them were just crazy rich, and that was, like, their outfits. That might be their outfit. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, like, when, when the, that Coca-Cola commercial, like, went on and it froze, everyone was freaking out. People were standing up. People were yelling at the screen. Get the manager. Get the manager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I was just like, I was like, no, this cannot be happening. You and I was like that. I was. I think it was wow. just like so anxious. I don't know about. you as like someone who like loses it in public very I often. I, I really don't. And I don't know why I did. Because you were excited to see this movie. I was. I think I was just like so wrapped up in this community and like being able to support this movie and then also being around like, like-minded Asian-American women in this industry that's, like, also mostly white, you know what I mean? So there's already find that community, and then plus this. And so it, like, the lights went on, and then it was, like, Kevin Kwan, it was Ken Jeong, it was Aquafina. Oh, wow. Was, yeah. They were all there. It was, they were all there, like, Jimmy O. Yang. Like, everyone was there, and then just, they were just talking about how, you know, like, thank you so much for coming. This is so important to us. We hope you like oh, it. so it wasn't a glitch. It was, like, part of the, it the hype. It was, yeah. And so nice. then people were just, like, it was, like, at a fever pitch. So when they, <laughs> basically, so when they left, like, it just immediately started. Yeah. And so I think it was just, like, from there, the, that energy was just so high the entire time. And people were cheering people, like, you know, in their shirtless scenes, people were, like, wooing. Sure. And uh, people were, like, straight up sobbing. I just heard, like, people sobbing at different parts. I'm surprised. Well, I'm sad you weren't in the theater when I saw it because I was sobbing at the end. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to see me sob. Yeah, I was with my <laughs> other friend who was totally like unfazed by anything emotional, and he was like, "The score in this movie is like overdone," and I'm just like sitting there weeping, like, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> um, what was a moment in the movie that you found to be like, like this is it? This is the revolutionary thing that I probably totally missed because I'm used to seeing 
romantic comedies with white people. Right. Um, I mean, like, going back to that soundtrack, I yeah. think just, like, the first two songs, I had heard those songs growing up. And the Times Square AMC shows movies from Hong Kong. Oh, like, I didn't a know lot. That. Yeah, like, the newest ones, but they only show one. So, like, that was the only... I mean, but, like, this was a Western Hollywood movie that was doing the music that I had heard growing up on cassette tapes in Hong Kong. And I think just, like, hearing that, it just had this wave. I just had this, like, very wave of just, like, emotion coming onto me. Sure. Where I was just like, oh, they, like, really thought of everything. Yeah. Um, so I think that was probably, like, the first kind of thing. And then, obviously, the Mahjong scene was really Yeah, intense. well, I want to get back to that in yeah. a second. But first... There's this really great scene where they like eat all this food. They oh, get all this yeah, street yeah, food. Yeah. And I know that like you're particularly interested in food as yeah. like a commentary on culture and stuff like that. So how do you think do you think the movie used the food like as a an effective storytelling device? I think yeah, I do. I mean, I don't want to speak for like every culture or whatever, but you know, in a Chinese in a Chinese culture, it's just like everything is around about around food. Everything's surrounded by food. And, you know, you go to someone's house and like, have you eaten yet? If not, I'm gonna cook you something. <laughs> or like, they'll just have food ready for you. Sounds great. Yeah, it's great, and uh, you know, you can gain a lot of weight just just I by. I felt like I gained weight watching the movie. <laughs> yeah, Are so there... I think it's. I mean, I think there's like you know, there's it's communal. Food is always communal. Food is always the place where everyone is talking around and talking about and talking whatever about anything. It's just that is just the centerpiece of anything that you're you having a conversation about. Interesting. Is there, like, where can I get all of that food? Is there somewhere, like, in New York or, like, for our listeners who are not maybe in New York or on the West Coast? Like, mm-hmm. where does it exist? Like, I just want to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think that Queens is, like, a really nice, like, hodgepodge of just different ethnic cuisines. Sure. Um, the Queens Night Market, which is starting up again in the for the fall, you can just go to, like, 50, 60 stalls, and they just, like, have... It's, like, you can, like, basically rebuild, recreate that hawker scene. Yeah. Um, which is... The hawker is just, you know, how, like, hawking, but... Right. How they hawk their foods. No, I get it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, like... I guess, like, a British thing, but that's just, like, how I... How that I makes sense. It. Yeah. But, yeah, I just want to, like, be in that market with all these yeah. things and just, like, point at everything and just load up a table. And, and it just... Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, when I'm in, like, Richmond and Vancouver or, like, in the San Gabriel Valley in, in L.A., where you have... You just go to these plazas and it's just, like, all these different foods and you just pick and choose and pick and choose and you just all sit down together and share. So is it, like, it, it's more of, like, maybe a West Coast thing? I think it's an... It's just, like, an Asian enclave sure. thing. So anywhere that you have that... So in Queens and the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so Crazy Rich Asians is, like, such a... I feel like it's become such a litmus test and, like, a hand-wringing in some ways for, like, Hollywood to say, like, oh, look what we did and, like, look at this diverse cast and look at how we, like, did this storytelling thing. Is it too much pressure, though, like, for what is essentially, like, kind of a dumb romantic comedy? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm, I, yeah, I think it's really unfair and I think, you know, also, it's, it's so much pressure to have one movie have to be everything for everyone. Like, you know, like I said before, there's, like, what, a hundred, like, 180 whatever cultures and right. in like Asian American I'll put that in quotes you can't see it but <laughs> but you know so it's like here is like a very specific family and I think that's the other thing is like where that Asian American movies are not afforded yet is that we can't just tell a story about one family we have to tell a story about a family that represents everybody sure and I mean I'm hoping that this will open up 
to other things, other movies, other TV shows, where it's just like it's a family who happen to be X, Y, and Z, and like go through the same problems and like, but have some cultural differences. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I mean, when we're recording this, the movie's made over 125 million dollars, yeah. and they've already greenlit a sequel. Mm-hmm. So what does that say about, like, movie-going audiences and, like, what they're interested in seeing? I think they're interested in having, you know, enjoying themselves. Right. And in this movie, right, it's, it's like, there's food everywhere. It's beautiful clothes. It's beautiful people. There's, like, Beautiful locations. Beautiful yeah. locations. And, like, also these, like, really interesting... I mean, like, these storylines that are also just very universal. Yeah. You know, you have, like, you have this relationship between two people. You have the kind of, like, imposing person you're trying to impress in this case it's the, the mom um and you have this person who's like cheating or like has this like crumbling marriage so there's all these things that like happen everywhere right it so, is sort of that meet the parents guess who's coming to dinner yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that is yeah totally universal and going back to the beautiful people like henry golding Ugh, who yeah. plays nick young is the most attractive person i've ever seen they're all i mean i like Gemma is like the most attractive person i've ever seen <laughs> Is she Rachel? No, no, she plays Astrid. Oh, Astrid. Oh, my God. I have yeah. such a crush on her. I know, same. Yeah. She's, how dare, well, I don't want to do any spoilers, but how dare what her husband does to her. How dare. How dare that but happen. Then, but then we get Harry Shum Jr., so. I don't know him. He's from. So he was from, originally from Glee. He's also oh. just a really, really good dancer in his own right. Oh, yeah. Is he going to woo her with his dancing God, in the sequel? God, I hope so. Yeah, me too. <laughs> So you were talking about Mahjong earlier. Can mm-hmm. you explain to me, like, what... Ha- I mean, so the final scene is a game of Mahjong. Yeah. And that sort of echoes this game of poker that she's playing yeah. in the opening of the movie. Can you explain to me, like, what happens in that Mahjong scene? Like, course, I don't yeah. really know from Mahjong. Yeah, so I used to play Mahjong a lot, especially during Chinese New Year, which is when I see my family, or mm-hmm. I, I used to when I would go back to Hong Kong. And so... And uh, I just want to say that also, like, Jeff Yang writes a really good explainer on in Angry Asian Man, the blog. But sure. um, I'm just kind of going to kind of give, like, my interpretation when I saw it. So in Mahjong, you have four seats, right? So it's, like, east, west, north, south. And so in the beginning, you have Rachel having uh, the mom sit down, and she's sitting in the east seat, which is the person who goes first, but also symbolizes east. Right. Like, east. She's from the west. Off, yeah. So you, so you, from the east. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of like, ha-ha. But, like, I also don't know that until she kind of, like, rolls the die. And then you're like, oh, she's sitting on the east position. But um, kind of, like, I want to go back to about the parallels between that and the poker game. Like, in the poker game, she says, you know, people are playing not to not to lose. or just Not to win, not but to, to win. not not lose. Right. So in, in the modern scene at the end, it's kind of like Rachel says, no matter what, even if, you know... Uh, Henry, Henry Golding's Jr.'s, or Henry Golding's kid. Oh, Nick Young. Nick Young, thank you. I, I have such a bad memory. When, like, even if Nick Young chooses Rachel, like, she loses. Rachel loses. Right. They're playing not to lose, but not to win. Right. Like, either way, she's going to lose. Right. So, at the end, when you see that Rachel's holding this tile, it's the tile that Rachel would need to win. But she also knows, like... Mahjong is also is one of the games where it's encouraged for you to count tiles, count cards. Interesting. Oh, to like see who mm-hmm. else has what and remember who has got what? Yeah. So in Mahjong, you have like sets of threes and then you have to win. You have, your hand has to be all sets of threes and then one set of two. So she also knows that the mom needs this eight of, like this eight bamboo. 
And so she could either be like, I could either win or give it to her and win. Got it. Interesting. But even if, she, but, sorry, <laughs> but even if like the mom wins, the, her hand is still worse than Rachel's hand. Yeah, because she like flips it over and she's like, I got this. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know what. Yeah, so, so you can, like I said, you have to win by three, three threes and then two. But to have like a more beautiful hand and also if you like counting points, which like in Singapore rules you do, you have the all, like they all, the tiles need to all be in the same kind of family. So they all have to be bamboo or they all have to be like the round circles or like all to be whatever. So the moms wasn't. It was all like a mix of different threes and then twos, but then Rachel's was all bamboo. So is there like an allegory there about like the purity of the family and like them all looking alike or something? Because that's ultimately her big problem with Rachel is like she's not part of them. Yeah, I I didn't think of it that way. I just, I mean, I also know that like, kind of a play on words like bamboo in Cantonese there's like a slang for like westerner oh like you call a westerner bamboo yeah it's like yeah so it's like a slang word that like plays on the word bamboo and so she's holding the bamboo and that's also a lucky number eight I don't know it's there's I could be like putting on. I could be putting a lot of just like symbolism into it. I mean, but... it seems like it's there though. <laughs> but I think yeah. So I actually didn't think of it as like a purity thing, but maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So one of my least favorite things to do is have people read tweets that I've written <laughs> back to me. So I'm going to read one of your tweets. Um, you said a couple weeks ago, as I was watching Crazy Rich Asians, I caught myself making fun of some of their Americanized Chinese, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, I've internalized some shit here. Anyway. Anyway, who wants to commission me to write about the layers of banananess because I got you? So I can pay you nothing, but <laughs> will you unpack, like, what you meant by that tweet? Yeah, so, but, like, calling someone a banana means, like, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Which is a joke that's explained in the movie. Yeah, but it's also something, it's also a term that, like, kind of is thrown on ABCs a lot, American-born Chinese, which I am. And... American-born Chinese, ABCs, kind of straddle that line between being Chinese enough and being American enough. And so you have to be American enough to know all the pop culture and, like, speak English perfectly and don't have an accent, but then also be Chinese enough to, like, know the cultures and then also not have an accent when you speak Chinese and be fluent in that. So basically have to be fluent in both. And so growing up, I had to prove my Chinese-ness to a lot of people, a lot of people my age who were first-generation immigrants or, you know, fresh off the boat, and they're, you know, they're, they'll, like, try to speak to me in English and be like, you don't know anything. And, but then there's also a lot of my friends who are, like, sec- like second-generation like me, who, like, whose parents came here, or third-generation, who are, who, I mean, I'm fluent in Cantonese, but a lot of people aren't. And, like, that doesn't mean you're less Chinese. But I also internalize that, too, because, you know, to prove you're Chinese, you have to speak Chinese. In, like, this is what, it was, like, my kind of, like, fucked up thing, right? And so if you can't speak Chinese, like, how Chinese are you? Right. And, like, or if you speak Chinese with an American accent, how Chinese are you? Right, yeah. And sometimes that still pops up where, you know, so I was watching this movie, and, like, Rachel speaks in Mandarin in, like, a very obviously, like, Americanized accent. And so I was like, what is this? Does the mother, too, speak with an Americanized Because she's supposed to be a first-generation... Or not even. She's supposed to be an immigrant. Yeah, I think her accent's like a Malay accent. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's something because I she's didn't... The, I mean, the actress is Malaysian. Sure. That's really interesting. Thank you for unpacking that. Mm-hmm. So, final question. Um, 
like I said, they've greenlit uh, the sequel, which will be based on China Rich Girlfriend, the sequel uh, to Crazy Rich Asians, the book. So what is one piece of sort of advice or like a tip or something you would give to the producers of the sequel to be like, hey, this was great, but like to be better, you should do X. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, these are all good questions. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I mean, number one, I want to be in this movie. You want to be in it? Yeah. I want to wear some fancy gowns. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I think just, I mean, I think the number one thing is like, I want to know more about Rachel. I want to know more about this relationship. I don't know anything yeah, about Yeah, for this. the protagonist of the film, and we'll probably <laughs> yeah. talk about this in, when we review the movie, but we don't know very much about her other than she's a professor, which yeah. she says... 15 <laughs> times yeah. and people are like oh that's great and yeah. then but other than that she doesn't seem to have and knowing literally nothing about her origin right but knowing she didn't even know that she didn't know right about her origin so maybe character development that could i would be love that i also want to know how why they why they are attracted to each other not just physically but just you know emotionally you know well, especially I mean, because he doesn't even tell her that he's rich and then, like, bombards her. It seems like a lot of people are, like, duping her. Yeah. About, like, where they've come from and aware, about where she's come from. Yeah. Yeah. So but do you think, like, then. maybe she's just into him because he's, like, wildly good-looking? I mean, after a year, though? After a year? But they seem like the, the spark's still there. They're, like, <laughs> hanging out on the plane and they're hanging out in the hotel. <laughs> it's true. It seems like there's still yeah. maybe six months more, you know, of that <laughs> honeymoon out. kind of, you know spark left yeah or clearly because she wasn't that angry with him when he's like no (laughs) but maybe that's just the product of the movie yeah okay so we'll tell the producers if you're listening more character development and more about the relationship between rachel and nick yes and also put me in there put vivian in there right now immediately well vivian thank you so much for being on be real um Let's go see the sequel together when it comes out. Yeah. I want to be there. Okay. I want to see the the lights come on and the fever pitch and everything. (laughs) It sounds really fun. It was really fun. (laughs) Thanks for having me. My friend, Crazy Rich Asians. I'm glad it exists. It's one of those movies that I'm like, as I'm glad it's in the world, but I will not give movies like undue credit just because they exist. Look at you. You're, You're strong in your principles. And I would bet anything i would you know i would bet the biggest the richest mahjong hand in the world that the uh, the sequel is even more bad good i hope so i hope it's mama mia here we go again <laughs> i think that's about right um okay berealpodcast.com for all your needs uh noah talk to you soon can't wait buddy wise men say oh